For Thursday, February 18th, 2021, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, one of the group's hardest hit by COVID-19 have been people living in settings like nursing homes. You're talking about a population that makes up less than 1% of the U.S., and they have made up over one-third of all deaths due to COVID-19 in the U.S. So that is a strikingly disproportionate share of deaths that have happened in long-term care facilities. Priya Chidambaram, a policy analyst with the Kaiser Family Foundation, joins me to discuss the connection between these facilities and the communities where they're located. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Long-term care facilities across the country have seen a surge in COVID-19 cases and deaths in recent months, mirroring that in the U.S. at large. That's a sign of how connected these settings are to the communities where they're located, says Priya Chidambaram, a policy analyst with the Kaiser Family Foundation. She's with me now to discuss that connection and some of the other reasons these settings and the people who reside in them have been hit so hard. Priya, thanks for talking with me. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to start by talking about recent history. Um, Across the country, we have seen Newly confirmed coronavirus cases go down, hospitalizations go down. We're starting to see initial trends of deaths moving in the same way. This came after a really big spike late last year that carried over into the start of 2021. What did this last few months look like in long-term care facilities as this was happening kind of in the general population? So we know over the course of the last year that the spread of the virus in facilities has been closely connected with the spread of the virus in the community at large. And so it should come as no surprise that many states actually reported their highest new cases and deaths in long-term care facilities in November and December of last year, coinciding with the spread of the virus that we saw in the country and in communities around the country at large. And so we reported in this analysis that cases and deaths in long-term care facilities were their highest in 2020 at the end of 2020. And we actually looked at the data again in January and find that a few states reported even higher deaths in January than they did in December. And so you really see that the patterns of cases and deaths in long-term care facilities closely follow the patterns of cases and deaths in uh, the communities that they're in. 
And my understanding from analysis that y'all have done at the Kaiser Family Foundation is that relationship has kind of persisted over the course of the pandemic, correct? That the more cases we see in a community, the more cases we tend to find in long-term care facilities. Correct. So when we actually evaluated the data at the state level, we found that states in the Northeast, if you recall, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, these were the states that had their worst outbreaks early in the pandemic. This was also when long-term care facilities in these states experienced their worst outbreaks. We're talking about April or May of 2020. In contrast, it was actually states on the West Coast and the Midwest that were more likely to see their worst outbreaks sometime late last year, November and December, both in long-term care facilities and in the country at large. And so we have seen these geographic patterns in where these really bad outbreaks in long-term care facilities have been, and those geographic patterns have largely correlated with where cases and deaths have uh, spiked in different points of the pandemic. And so these states that in your most recent analysis that did not see their highest rates of cases and deaths over the last few months, we can assume that's because those were hard hit earlier on. Yeah, so that was really what we saw. They did experience an increase in cases and deaths. We're talking about states in the Northeast primarily. They did see an increase in cases and deaths starting in around September or October, and they did reach very close to the levels of cases and deaths that they saw early in the pandemic, but they did not quite reach uh, as high as they did. This really seems to be another great indicator of the kind of regionality of a pandemic. We think of a pandemic as maybe being monolithic across uh, a region, across a country, but that's not necessarily the case. Sure. And long-term care facilities, the way that the pandemic has played out in them, it has not played out the same across the country by any means. And where are we now with the percentage of deaths that have occurred in long-term care facilities? My sense is over the course of the pandemic, it's been a substantial percentage of deaths here in Georgia and, uh, and across the country. But what is the, the kind of latest figure we have there? Sure. The latest figure we have is somewhere between 35 and 40 percent, depending on the data source you're looking at. That figure was a little bit higher at the start of the pandemic. We had figures, uh, national figures closer to 48 or 49 percent. And that figure has dropped over the course of the last 11 to 12 months. But right now, I would say 36 to 37 percent is what we've seen cited. And even, you know, that's upwards of one third. That is a number that to me is very striking. How should people react to that? I mean, should that be a number that people hear it and it's surprising to them too? Sure. So I think the number is striking. You're talking about a population that makes up less than 1% of the U.S. And they have made up over one third of all deaths due to COVID-19 in the U.S. So that is a striking number. And it is a strikingly disproportionate share of deaths that have happened in long-term care facilities. That being said, people that have been in this field for a long time, the number, if you were to ask them, it's not surprising. And it's because the way that the virus has spread in facilities, it's almost like it was a perfect storm of factors. Um, the virus is a highly transmissible virus. Long-term care facilities are designed in such a way that the virus can travel very efficiently. And sort of the, the, the worst of all of these is that the population of people in these facilities are at extremely high risk for severe illness or death if they do become infected. And so, you know, you, you share this number, you share this statistic, it's not that surprising to people that have been studying this population for decades. Well, and if this wasn't that surprising, it almost makes me wonder why we have, as a country, 
uh, haven't been able to do more to address it. And, you know, I want to talk about some of the things that over time, these kinds of maybe systemic failures, is it easy to break that down into a few different discrete things that maybe just haven't gone well in these facilities? Sure. So you can kind of look at it at two levels. The first is this facility level. So what have nursing homes actually done? And relatively early on in the pandemic, they implemented visitor restrictions. So this was all off of federal guidelines that CMS released, the federal government released. They implemented visitor restrictions in long-term care facilities. They were screening residents and staff for symptoms relatively early on, and they closed down common areas of these facilities. So that was sort of what the nursing homes did at a very early point of time. Then you have to look at sort of the federal government slash state government, sort of what policies were implemented at a higher level to assist these facilities in dealing with the crisis in long-term care facilities. The federal government postponed the regular survey activities, the, these annual surveys that nursing homes go through, and they instead redirected those efforts to infection control surveys. Um, and then starting at the end of May, the federal government began actually uh, reporting data on cases and deaths in nursing homes based on data that states were reporting to them on a weekly basis. And so you sort of have to look at the nursing home level versus the um, state and federal government level, what was going on there. And then again, when you look at the state policy level, some states implemented some more controversial policies that got a lot of attention. And something that really I, I still remember is the criticism around New York's policy relatively early on in the pandemic to transfer COVID positive residents from hospitals to nursing homes. And so that is an example of a policy that came from the state level that uh, that really impacted nursing homes. I have always been able to look at what has been happening in long-term care facilities at two levels. The first is what nursing homes have done, and then second is um, what the federal government and state governments have done. That seems to me to speak to something that was a real hallmark of really most of the last year of this pandemic, the lack of any cohesive, clear, top-down federal response. I mean, we had states doing different things, the federal government giving states the freedom to do that. I, I would imagine that that is potentially a, at issue here. Absolutely. So very early on, the lack of any sort of national plan People flagged that this was going to be a problem, especially for nursing homes. Nursing homes specifically are uh, federally um, regulated. They are overseen by the federal government. And the lack of um, resources and uh, guidance that these facilities had to operate under, it really did do them a disservice. I think sort of speaking from the data perspective as someone that's been collecting data on this since the, since the start of the crisis, we didn't get standardized data for cases and deaths in long-term care facilities until the end of May. And if you think about how many outbreaks and how many states experienced their worst outbreaks prior to May, you really do um, start to get an understanding of why a federal government response early on would have been um, one of the strongest protective factors for these facilities. This is, did you wash your hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Priya Chidambaram. She's a policy analyst with the Kaiser Family Foundation. We're discussing the ongoing impacts of COVID-19 on long-term care facilities. How prepared were long-term care facilities for 
a pandemic. My sense from hearing from people here on the ground in Georgia is that there were some facilities that didn't say even have sufficient stores and supplies of personal protective equipment. I mean, we think of these as healthcare facilities, but were they truly prepared to take all the health interventions needed to fight off a pandemic? So prior to the pandemic, about 40% of nursing homes in this country had been cited with an infection control deficiency. And so that figure in itself gives you an idea of the challenges that something like the coronavirus pandemic would present. Infection control has always been a huge challenge for nursing homes. And uh, the fact that this pandemic relied so heavily on ample sources of PPE, ample sources of staffing, ample testing, all of these things. Um, these resource shortages were really what hit nursing homes so incredibly hard. The long-term care system in this country, nursing homes, they weren't built to survive a pandemic. And so there has been a lot of conversation around sort of changing the model of long-term care in this country, given what we know and given what we've seen over the last uh, 11 months. You know, here we are a year into the pandemic about, and some of the first cases we saw in the country were in nursing homes. This was in Washington state. I feel like there was a nursing home there that got a lot of attention for being a site of a very, very early outbreak. What do you make of that? The fact that here we are, we've seen these facilities really see this outsized impact when really they were kind of the canary in the coal mine for this pandemic coming to this country in the first place. Yeah, so I remember the the outbreak you're talking about. It was an outbreak at a nursing home in Kirkland, Washington. That was actually reported in February 2020. So we're coming up on almost exactly a year of crisis for long-term care facilities. And since then, long-term care facilities have been the epicenter of this pandemic. Um, that initial outbreak sort of raised alarm bells for nursing homes across the country, as well as policymakers. They realized that nursing homes were sort of this, uh, uh, there were a lot of perfect storm factors in nursing homes, as I said earlier, that made these facilities and would make these facilities um, such an incredibly dangerous place to be during this pandemic. So we have seen trends in nursing homes mirror trends in the communities they're in. Talk to me a little bit about the real relationship between long-term care facilities and communities. Visitation has been cut off, so maybe people hearing this think, well, people can't go see their families. So what kind of real link is there between these facilities and the larger community? So lay that out for me. The best working theory that we have right now based on some evidence out there is that staff infections, so uh, infections that staff members who work in nursing homes but who live in the surrounding communities, those infections are the ones that are leading to the infections in um, nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. And so when you talk about long-term care staff members, a lot of these staff members actually work across multiple facilities as well. And so when you have someone who lives in the community and is going from facility to facility, um, you know, providing these necessary services, that is really what we've seen as the major link between the community and the residents in long-term care facilities. And my general sense, too, is that a lot of these jobs at long-term care facilities are low-wage jobs and that a lot of the people who work in them are non-white. And those are also kind of risk factors for coronavirus infection. So you can't talk about the long-term care workforce without talking about who exactly is the long-term care workforce. You've got uh, a workforce that is over 80% women, over 60% of them are low-wage workers, and over one quarter of them are Black. So that is a disproportionately Black workforce. And so 
if someone in this workforce uh, falls ill, you know, as I said, 60% of them are low wage. Many of them aren't afforded the privilege or the opportunity to call out sick. They might not be able to afford that. And so they might have to go into work to be able to put food on the table for their families. And so the way that long-term care workers are having to operate right now has really played a role in why cases have spread so quickly in these facilities. And so if that's a little bit about how we got to where we are, I want to talk about where we are, especially with regards to vaccination. How are states doing? How are we doing as a country uh, in that effort and actually getting the the residents of long-term care facilities vaccinated? Sure. So we know that the um, vast majority of long-term care uh, of, uh, I should say, nursing home residents, because there is a bit of a difference in how nursing home residents versus other long-term care residents have been vaccinated. The federal government and long-term care facilities um, have this partnership through um, the pharmacy partnership program, and that is how long-term care residents have been vaccinated. And this is with this was with CVS and Walgreens, I think, were the two partners? Correct. Yes. So this is with CVS and Walgreens. So nursing homes across the country had the option of partnering with CVS or Walgreens to set up clinics within the uh, nursing homes to administer vaccines to residents and staff members. Um, When you're talking about resident vaccinations, it's been largely successful. A um, majority of residents have been vaccinated. Um, I can't recall the exact share that have received their first versus the second dose, but the uh, majority of residents have been vaccinated and they are on track to complete vaccinations for residents um, in the upcoming weeks. And in the last couple of weeks, we have seen that new cases and new deaths are dropping for nursing home residents. It's hard to know right now whether that's due to the vaccine or due to the overall community cases and death rates dropping. You know, it's likely that it's sort of a mix of both. It's unlikely that a vast majority majority of residents have developed that full immunity response to the vaccine. But once that happens, we can go back and evaluate what the true impact of the vaccine actually was and really how quickly we saw a drop in cases and deaths due to the vaccine itself. You're being very careful with your language there. You're saying it's going well among residents. We've seen here in Georgia that staff, the people who work in nursing homes and long-term care facilities, have been some of the most hesitant to get vaccinated. So what's what's going on there? Sure. And so that really ties back to what I was talking about regarding the demographics of long-term care workers. This is a population of people, Black women, low-wage workers, who have historically not been treated very well by the medical community. Medical racism is alive and well and has been for centuries. And so that has played a role in how these uh, long-term care workers are sort of interpreting um, whether or not they should, or how they're making their decisions on whether or not they should get the vaccine. And so Yes, we have seen much higher rates of vaccine hesitancy among long-term care workers when compared to overall healthcare workers. And a lot of that has to do with um, deeply rooted uh, systemic problems. From where we are now, we're almost two months into the vaccine rollout. That rollout has seen some success with residents of these facilities. What does the future look like here? How does the pandemic play out in these facilities moving forward? Yeah, um, So I guess taking a more optimistic view of it, and perhaps maybe I shouldn't, but, um, you know, our country is aging and this pandemic was a very ugly reminder that 
the long-term care systems in this country weren't built to survive anything like this, a pandemic. And a lot of people are asking a question around what are we going to do for the next pandemic? Because, you know, there has been a lot of speculation that this is just one example of what could happen. And this isn't even the worst that could happen. And so there has been a lot more discussion on changing the model of long-term care in this country. Some of those proposals include things like making nursing homes smaller and less institution-like. There have been proposals to expand options to allow people to age at home or in a community-based setting um, because there's some evidence indicating that the virus has spread slower in home and community-based settings um, versus in uh, in institutional settings. And so there are these proposals out there to change the models of long-term care. That is a very long time horizon we're talking about. Changing the whole model of long-term care in this country will take years. That is not something we're going to see in six months. In the next six months, I would expect to see um, a lot more evaluation and research done on what happened over the last year. Right now, uh, states are now just now starting to get a handle on being able to evaluate the policies that they implemented over the last year. And so we'll be seeing a lot more, you know, what worked, what didn't, and using that to um, create a toolbox for long-term care facilities to handle whatever comes up in the, uh, in the near future. So many of these conversations I've had with people on this podcast have been about systemic failures and the different kinds of systemic failures that this pandemic has caused. It's just put so much pressure on so many of our systems in this country. What is your take on the failure that really seems to have happened with the long-term care system as it's set up here in this country? Is this the most visible sign of a systems failure that we've had in the pandemic? That's a great question. I'm hesitant to say that this is the starkest example of systems failure. I think you could argue that the racial equity failures that we've seen over the last year um, have also been very striking. And so I don't think it would be um, it would be really fair at all to compare those. But I do think we have seen a systems failure for long-term care facilities or in the long-term care um, systems in this country. Um, a lot of people have been saying for decades that Many folks in nursing homes don't actually have to be in nursing homes. They could be receiving care in non-institutional settings. They could be receiving care at home or through a uh, smaller group home type setting. And so these are the sort of things that people working in the long-term care field have been proposing for decades. And so when something like the coronavirus pandemic hit and it hit these institutional settings, these congregate care settings so incredibly hard, it shone a light on some of these proposals that have been around for a very long time. And it did shine a light on uh, just how dangerous institutional settings can be. Priya Chidambaram is a policy analyst with the Kaiser Family Foundation. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening.
you donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.